Well, good morning. It's uh, encouraging to see some faces in the room for a change. I've been speaking to an empty auditorium for some time now, and uh, it's deafening. I mean, you don't hear any feedback at all, so it's, it's just great that you're here today. Uh, we all suffer in, in similar and different ways. I mean, we all are familiar with what suffering is about. Uh, it's been about 11 months since I went through the <clears throat> um, nine days where I was at the hospital for an appendix that died, turned gangrene, and then kind of leaked into my system a little bit. Nine days in the hospital it was so painful. And the question is, why did it happen? I mean, why does God let things like that happen? Even before that happened, a few months before that, we had to put our dog Toby to sleep. Uh, I was the one that didn't want the dog in the first place, but she kind of latched on to me, and I became her favorite. And, and then to take her to the vet and come home empty-handed, it was like losing a member of the family. And it's like, why? I mean, why does God allow things like that to happen to us? About a week and a half ago, I had some surgery at a clinic called a rhizotomy where they're they're cutting some of the nerves in my lower back so I'm not in pain all the time. All of us understand these kinds of things, pain and suffering. In my profession, I deal more with suffering people than most do. And oftentimes they're wondering why, you know, why did this happen? And I, I don't oftentimes have the answer to the question. I'm reminded of a, a family that called me one afternoon, I think it was a Sunday afternoon, and they were at the hospital and they told me that their 13-year-old daughter had just died. And I just couldn't believe it. It had been a snowy day in, in Morgantown. Uh, everything was basically shut down and this girl had used the street in front of the house to sled. And no one noticed that a, a plow was coming back up the hill. And the next thing you know, I'm, I'm doing a funeral. And what words of comfort can I offer that family? What answers do I have as to why something like this could happen? And then shortly after this incident happened, the wife became pregnant and everything was great for the next nine months. On the very day of the delivery, though, something went wrong in the process of delivering the baby. And suddenly I was dealing with a second funeral for the same family. And there aren't a lot of words we could offer, but we all live in a world right now where there's just uh, suffering. And we think, of course, COVID-19, even people that haven't gotten this virus yet are impacted by it. Our whole world is impacted by it. And it's hard to deal with things like this because we want our world to be predictable and safe. And so when something happens to someone that just seems beyond the scope of understanding, it's really kind of hard for us to deal with it. Now, before I depress you too much, I, I think it's important to remember a few things even before I jump into what I want to talk about related to pain and suffering, and that is that Jesus is sovereign, God is sovereign. And so I'm encouraged by that because I realize that the things that happen in this world are not just left to chance or fate. Second, I recognize the fact that God is a God of comfort and even with this young family, it was remarkable, it was miraculous, their ability to navigate this with the comfort that only God can provide. To me, it was just proof and evidence of the fact that there was indeed a God. And then, of course, we as Christians also know that all things work together for good to those who love God, that God is orchestrating things, but it's still hard. And so when things happen, when suffering takes place, I think sometimes we wonder why. 
We wonder why it happened to me. A lot of us, our default when something bad happens is to ask, is God punishing me? I won't ask you to raise your hands, but I think many of you, that's your default. Something bad happens and you think, oh, I'm getting punished for something I did wrong. And I want to address that as under my third point here. And then I think a lot of us struggle with the question of how could a God who's good and all-powerful not intervene? When he sees something, when there's some kind of suffering in the world, why doesn't he intervene? When I see suffering, I'm inclined to want to try to defend God somehow, although I realize he does not need my help. But it's a subject that I think we need to talk about because every one of us deals with pain and sickness, sorrow, death, disappointments in life, rejection. All of us go through so many things, and the question is, can we make sense of it all? What we, do we do with a virus that's kind of taken captive the whole world? What do we do with that? Now, I want to mention at the outset, I don't think I have all the answers to the questions. There are just a lot of things I don't think we'll know until we get to heaven. I also want to mention this, that originally I was going to do one talk on the subject of suffering, but as I began to work on it, I realized this is at least two talks. But I don't want to do it next week. I don't want to do part two next week because I'm going to be talking next week by God's grace on the subject of Christians and politics. I wanted to get that in before the election. And I think a lot of people wonder, why do Christians vote certain ways on certain issues? How do we apply the Bible to the various subjects so that we arrive at certain conclusions? And when we're done, you could decide whether you agree with the conclusions or whether you agree with the verses that are used to look at various issues. But at least it's worth talking about and at least understanding why Christians view things a certain way. And so what I'd like to do is this week talk about some principles related to pain and suffering. I want to make three points, three conclusions that I have made. And then next week I want to talk about just the whole political subject. And then after that, I have four more things I want to talk about related to suffering. My main takeaway today, though, is this. My thesis is this, that we can make sense of suffering. That as Christians, there is indeed a theology about how we approach pain and suffering in this world. The first point I'd like to make in defense of that statement, that thesis, is that I'm convinced that all suffering can be traced back to Adam and Eve. All suffering. Not some of it, all suffering in this world, I think, is traced back to what happened in the garden with Adam and Eve. God had told Adam and Eve that they were not to eat from the tree that was located in the center of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and God told them ahead of time that if they did so, if they disobeyed God, death would come into this world. Now, I don't think Adam and Eve had any idea how bad it was going to be. They might have thought that death was just going to happen to them. They didn't realize that this was something that was going to bring a curse upon all of creation. The bottom line is we live in a broken world. This isn't the world that God created. He created a world that when he was done, he said, it's very good. Day after day, he said, this is good, this is good, this is good, this is good. Our world today is not so good because there's nothing that hasn't been touched by the curse of sin. And it's hard for us to deal with that. And so when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, God approached Eve and said, from now on, 
when you deliver children, it's going to be painful. And also, by the way, your relationship with your husband is going to be negative impa- negatively impacted by what you did. And then when it came to Adam and Eve, or Adam, I'm sorry, in Genesis 3:17, God said, the ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. It'll produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground, since you were taken from it, for you are dust, and you will return to dust. All the creation came under this curse. Work was not meant to be work. Work was meant to be enjoyable, to give us purpose in life. It wasn't supposed to be so difficult where we're sweating by the sweat of our brow just to get the, the crops to come in without the weeds and those kinds of things. All of creation has been infected by this. The Apostle Paul went on to say that all of creation is actually groaning like a, a woman in childbirth. It can't wait to get set free from the curse that was put upon it because of the sin of Adam and Eve. Now, in one sense, I blame Adam and Eve for all of it. And I think all of us could say, well, if you're suffering, blame Adam and Eve. At the same time, I suspect if I had been around at that time, if it had not been Adam and Eve but Tim and Karen, I would have done the same thing. I mean, I'd like to think I would have said no to that tree, but it would have been tempting. And I know even now that there are times in which I say yes to something I should say no to. And then sometimes there are consequences for that. And that's the world in which we live. Now, this is important for us to understand because people tend to blame God for suffering. And my response is, you you don't blame God for this. This is what we've brought upon ourselves, both Adam and Eve in the past, but also, I think, suffering in... In the world today, we bring it upon ourselves. So somebody decides to disobey God and they they do something that's hurtful or harmful. Many times innocent people get in the way, but this is the world that we're living in right now. Now, a couple encouraging things about this as I think about it. Number one is that one day it's all going to be fixed. And my thought is that what God is doing is he's just waiting to fix it all. Like, like he, could, he could intervene all the time, but he's waiting until we get to the end to fix all of this. But second, I think it's important to realize that although suffering is hard for us right now, what we have to look forward to is much, much better than the suffering is bad. The Apostle Paul said this in Romans 8, 18. He said, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. He says, when I think about it, you know, the suffering I'm enduring right now, you can't even compare it with the good that's coming. And of course, Paul was someone who could say this because he suffered more than maybe any of us in this room. I mean, the guy had to suffer through at least two stonings where people stoned him, trying to kill him. He was beaten and whipped on occasion. He was shipwrecked. He found himself spending a lot of time in dungeons and prisons. And this is a guy that's saying, yeah, I've suffered a lot, but when I think about the future, it's not even worth comparing. One day, good is coming. So all suffering can be traced back to the sin of Adam and Eve, ultimately. Second conclusion I've drawn over the years is this, that we should not expect God to intervene every time bad things happen. And this, I think, is a hard thing for us, but 
the Christian mindset towards suffering is, suffering is that we should expect it. Our expectation should not be that we're going to be spared all suffering, which is why Christians have trouble with the subject. Because every time we suffer in some way, we're just surprised by it. And Peter wrote, we shouldn't be surprised in 1 Peter 4.12. He said, dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. Now, I think he was talking primarily about persecution, but it was more than that. He says, don't be surprised. For reasons we don't understand, God allows things usually to just run their course. Now, why this is hard for us sometimes, again, is that innocent people are impacted. For example, somebody gets drunk, they decide to get behind the wheel of a car, and they end up taking an innocent life over here. And you say, why didn't God intervene? And my point is that God, for reasons of his own, has decided to let things kind of run their course. He doesn't intervene every time somebody sins and there's going to be a consequence. This was, of course, what part of it was about when God created Adam and Eve. He created them with the ability to choose for or against. They chose poorly. Again, so do we. And for the most part, he lets things run their course. Now, people struggle with this idea that God would let it go, and here's why. We believe God is all-loving. You know, God is love. We believe in a God who cares, right? I hope all of us understand we, we, we have a God who cares for us, a God who's deeply moved by things that we suffer. At the same time, we have a God who is all-powerful, almighty. And so this provides an ethical dilemma for some. And, and it's, a, it's understandable why it's a problem. Let me give you an illustration. Say you came across somebody who was attacking somebody else, and say you had the ability to do something about it because maybe you were bigger than they were, or maybe you had a, a weapon with you or something, but you see someone being attacked, you have compassion on the, the innocent person, but you decide, I'm not going to do anything about it. Now, does that bother some to any of us? I mean, what would you think about somebody that did that? You'd say, well, that's, that person's not very loving or something. I mean, we'd say they should intervene. The question is whether or not the same logic applies to God, and I'm saying no. God alone is sovereign. God alone has all the pieces of the puzzle. God alone knows how it's all going to be cleaned up in the end. He knows all of this. And he chooses not to intervene many times. Now, again, I think people struggle with this. In preparation for this talk, I reread most of Harold Kushner's book, Why Bad Things Happen to Good People. I don't know if you've read this before. Uh, I, I found it, it's an interesting book. Kushner puts out some interesting ideas there. He does a good job of making sure that if we're comforting somebody, we don't give them simple answers. But his view of God is so disappointing, at least as it's mentioned in the book. His God is impotent because he's concluded that it's impossible to have a God who's all-loving and all-powerful and not step in and fix everything that goes wrong in our world. He thinks that's not possible, and so he's concluded God must not be possible then because he can't deal with a God that's not loving. He talked about the story of Job and gave that as an example. He said, if God is good, then he would do something about it. 
Job's suffering, unless, of course, he can't, because he's powerless. And then he wrote about Job, the book of Job. He said, forced to choose between a good God who's not totally powerful or a powerful God who's not totally good, the author of the book of Job chooses to believe in God's goodness. Well, it can't be both. That's his conclusion. It can't be both. He can't be all powerful and, and, and good at the same time. Well, I've concluded personally that God is God. And God is sovereign. And that God's working things out. And God's working behind the scenes. And we don't always know. But most of the time, he allows things to run their natural course. He chooses not to intervene. And we would expect that that God would always intervene. Now, sometimes he does. As I was thinking about this, I thought of a night when I was mugged in Columbus, Ohio. I was attacked by some guys. The guy on top of me pulled out a knife and began stabbing me in the back, but for some reason, I wasn't killed. In fact, I didn't at the time even feel the blade. I couldn't figure it out. Eyewitnesses saw the guy stabbing me. The charge when the guys got arrested was attempted murder. And I was the victim. His attempted murder was their charge. Because eyewitnesses all saw him stabbing me, but I didn't feel the blade. I couldn't figure it out, but I pretended to be dead. When the officers showed up, I was still lying there. They found a knife, a switchblade, the one that the guy was using, lying on the grass next to me, was in the shape of an L. All I can think is it didn't open all the way, but that's odd, it's a switchblade. I even went to the evidence room afterwards. They said, can I see the knife that was used on me? And they showed it to me, and it almost took my breath away. It was the largest switchblade I'd ever seen. And then I pushed the button, and it just flung right open. Yet, I, I didn't die. What happened? Well, I think God intervened. Now, some are bothered with this. Because they say, well, then what you're saying is that God saved you, but he didn't save this person over here. You know, what is it? You think you're more righteous than other people? You know, do you think that you're more deserving to live than somebody else? No, that's the wrong conclusion. What I think is God wasn't done with me yet. There's a little more work he wanted me to do or accomplish. This was before I moved to Morgantown to help start the church here. I think God knew I want this guy in Morgantown. And so in my case... He did not allow sin to run its normal course. I think he intervened. Now, I can't prove it, but it's pretty, pretty compelling to me. Now, because God sometimes intervenes, I think it causes problems for some of us because some of us think, well, God intervened for me, but he didn't for these people over here, and they have what's called survivor's guilt. I don't know, people feel guilty about the fact that they lived and other people didn't, or sometimes people feel pressure because they think, well, God saved me, so now I gotta do something, and I don't even know what it is, but a lot of weight on me right now. I would suggest you're overthinking the whole situation. If God hasn't revealed why, all I can say is that God has chosen not to always intervene, but sometimes he does. And probably he's intervened in every one of our lives. If we could see all the times that God intervened, I think we'd be shocked by that. He does intervene, but he chooses sometimes not to. So, number one, all suffering is traced back to Adam and Eve, their sin, primarily. Two, we can't expect God to intervene every time bad things happen. And then my third point this morning, to help make sense of our suffering, which is my main thought, I think we can make sense of it, 
is third, Christians should view suffering as discipline, not punishment. I don't believe that Christians should think that their suffering is about punishment, and this is what I know a lot of Christians, every time something bad happens, God's punishing me. What is it? I wonder what I'm doing. What, what's God doing? Why is he, he's punishing me, and, and that's their theology. This is not good theology. I don't believe, and I'll make a case for it in a minute here, but I don't think God punishes Christians. But he does discipline us. Now, I would think we would have learned this lesson by now a little bit because of the story of Job, if you're familiar with it. Because in his day, Job was probably the most righteous man alive, and yet he endured a lot. He'd endured more than anyone in this room. I think he had seven kids, they all died in one day. He lost everything he had, all his possessions, and then he lost his health. He was covered from head to toe in these painful boils that were not only painful but incredibly itchy. We find him early on in the book of Job scraping himself as it hurts so bad. So his friends show up and, and, and they want to encourage him because they heard what had happened to him. And for the first seven days, actually, they did an amazing job. Nobody talked. They looked at him and they thought, nobody has ever suffered like that before. No one could even say a word. That's the best thing they could have done. You know, often that's the right answer. Someone's suffering, just be quiet. Just sit with them in the moment. But then they open their mouths and for the next 20-some chapters, more than that, probably, they begin to attack Job because they have the theology that good, bad things don't happen to so-called good people. So there must be something you did wrong, Job, and they tried to figure out what it was. Now, people run to this idea that everything that we suffer is because of punishment because, oddly, it provides a certain amount of comfort because it makes our suffering understandable just a little bit. If you say, yeah, there's a direct correlation between the things I do wrong and the things I suffer, then at least I could stop the suffering if I stop sinning. But Job, none of these things happened to him because of anything he did wrong. And Job's friends didn't learn the lesson, and that was written thousands of years ago, and then I still see it all the time today. Something bad happens, we think God is, is punishing me. Now, I've made a distinction between discipline and punishment. You say, what's the difference between the two? Well, I view punishment as punitive. It's only about giving someone what they deserve. Our prison system is punitive in nature. It's about punishment. It's not about restoring that person. It's not about investing in them to be a better person. Now, we could argue whether or not that should be happening, but right now, someone commits a crime, they go to prison, and we say they deserve it. That's punishment. It's just justice. It's raw justice. Punishment. Now, why do I say that Christians don't suffer punishment? Well, because Jesus was punished for us. In Isaiah 53, 5, we read, but he was pierced because of our transgressions, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace, or that resulted in us having peace with God, was on him. He was punished, and we're healed by his wounds. I don't think we're punished for our sins. 
then, then what, what do we experience? What's the thing called discipline? What's the difference? The purpose behind it. Discipline is about helping someone improve. Discipline is about helping someone grow in, in godliness or endurance or in maturity, that we go through hard times and they make us stronger. And so the goal is the thing that makes the difference. Is it about God trying to get even with you or is it about discipline? And when I see all the different references in the Bible about, about suffering, they all deal with discipline, not punishment. And discipline is a good thing, regardless of what it is. And so, by the way, sometimes we're disciplined because of sin in our lives. But it's not punishment. It's, it's he's trying to get your attention to say, this isn't good for you. I want something better for you. And so I'm going to make life a little hard for you. But discipline is a good thing. Many of you, I'm sure, watched the uh, game yesterday against Kansas. And, and after the game was done, Coach Neil Brown did his media conference afterwards, you know, and the, all the different ones were there, and he gave an update or just a perspective of the game. And very early on, he said something that I thought was, it's exactly this point. He made the point that the, the, the game started, it was everything like went wrong, it was really bad, but he said, I'm proud of my, my players because of how they dealt with the adversity. That was the word I think he used, adversity. They weren't doing very well. Would they crush under it or would they rise above it? And he made the point that they've grown since last year because last year I think they would have folded under it, but they, they became different players. They faced this, this situation that could have discouraged them all and sidelined them and, and the game could have gone really downhill, but somehow in the midst of it, they found what they needed to get the job done. That's, that's what we're talking about here when we talk about discipline. Now, some people would disagree with the fact that the word punish doesn't apply to Christians because there is a verse out there that uses the word punishes. Although I want, as I read the verse, I want you to look for a different word, the, the one I'm emphasizing, discipline. Hebrews 12, 5 and 6. My son, do not take the Lord's discipline, there's the word lightly, or faint when you're reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines, there it is again, the one he loves, and then it says, and punishes every son he receives. So people say, well, God must punish Christians. If we're children of God, we're gonna be punished. No, the word punish here isn't the word for punitive. It's a word that actually means to scourge. It's a word that emphasizes how hard our suffering's gonna be, not the purpose of it to punish us. It's not punitive in that sense. He's talking about discipline here. That was the word that he kept using. And then he said, because God makes it hard sometimes. We go through difficult times. And then he goes on to keep talking about it. He says, endure, in verse 7, Hebrews 12, 7, endure suffering as discipline. I suggest every time we suffer, it's to be viewed as a way to discipline us, help us grow in discipline. By the way, sports analogies are great in this regard because I was only involved with two different sports, one in high school, one in college. I wasn't an athlete. But the discipline that we needed just to do my thing, like in high school, I was on the high bar, gymnastics. We were lifting weights. What does that have to do with the high bar? You know, we were climbing stairs. We were doing this exercise called the inchworm. I can still feel the pain of that one. I hated that. So sore. It's, it felt like punishment. Frankly, it felt like punishment. 
the, 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 why, why would you do it? Why do football players go through what they go through? Hours of training. Because it, it makes us stronger. Verse 8, but if you're without discipline, which all receive, then you're illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had natural fathers discipline us and we respected them. Shouldn't we submit even more to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time based on what seemed good to them, but he does it for our benefit so that we can share his holiness. No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields the fruit of peace and righteousness to those who are trained by it. Let it train you. Let it train you. So when I went through that trial involving my appendix, I wasn't sitting in the bed there thinking, what have I done wrong? No, I was thinking, God, what is it you're trying to teach me from this? In what ways can I grow? Because this is something I've never gone through before. It was the most painful thing I'd experienced in my life. The doctor had made it clear on several occasions people die from this thing that I had, and it just was no fun at all. But the question isn't, are you punishing me? I've sinned. We all sin, but I couldn't think of any sin worthy of what I was going through. Do you know what I mean? That's the Job thing. It's like, that's not what it was about. It was about growing. Now, if you doubt that this is the case, there are a lot of references in the New Testament about dealing with trials. Let me just quickly reference a couple. Romans 5, 1, or I'm sorry, Romans 5, beginning verse 3. We also rejoice in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. That's what it's about. We rejoice in our afflictions, whatever they are, because it produces endurance. That leads to proven character, which leads to hope. James 1, 2 through 5, he says, Consider pure joy or great joy, my brothers, whenever you experience various trials. Because he says the same thing, knowing the testing of your faith produces endurance. He goes on to say that if you wonder about it, ask God. He'll give you wisdom about why you're suffering. And of course, Paul, or Peter said the same thing in 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7. Now, for a short time, you've had to struggle with various trials so that the genuineness of your faith, which is more valuable than gold, which perishes though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You heat up gold in a fire, the impurities melt away. If you get rid of the impurities, that's exactly what God wants to do in our lives. So let me summarize here. I think we can make sense of our suffering. I think all suffering is directly or indirectly related to the sin of Adam and Eve. They brought in brokenness in this world. And if you live in the world, you're part of it. So you might get COVID. That's the world in which we live. Sometimes he intervenes, sometimes he doesn't. Our second thing, of course, is that he doesn't always intervene. But mostly, I think, as you face various things, I want to encourage you to view this suffering not as punishment, like God's punishing you, but that God is disciplining you. He's training you. And therefore, as a takeaway here, I I want to encourage you that when you suffer, in whatever way that you suffer, that you raise the question, God, what is it that you want to teach me through this? And then in the midst of all your suffering, um, he's about helping us with our our pain, with our suffering, with our wounds, that our God wants to share all that with us, which I want to talk more about that next week.
Walking, broken, innocent, stolen Shadows hold you down till you can breathe You look for reasons to pick up all the pieces But still you tell yourself the hurts too deep would you believe me if I said you're not beyond repair? Would you believe me if I told you that I've been right there? I've seen the light coming to my darkest rooms. I can tell you, friend, that is love heals wounds. Look into my heart, let it be the proof I'm only standing here, cause His love heals all Freedom, breakthrough, open arms around you Just like how it feels to come back home Endless redemption Love without dimension Restoring all the hope you thought was gone Oh, I've seen the light come in To my darkest rooms I can tell you, friend That is love Look into my heart, let it be the proof I'm only standing here, cause His love heals Would you believe me if I told you that I've been right there? Would you believe me if I said you're not beyond repair? Would you believe me if I told you that I've been right there? I've seen the light coming to my darkest room. I can tell you, friend, that his love heals wounds. Look into my heart, let it be the proof. I'm only standing here, cause his love heals wounds. Yeah, his love we're so grateful that you do heal our wounds we look forward to the day when everything will be fixed there'll be new heaven and new earth we'll get a new body we'll have a world in which there's no pain or suffering no tears no death and in the meantime oh lord we recognize that we desperately need you because this is a broken world 
we thank you, Lord, that you were able to heal up those wounds in our lives and to go with us every step of the way. We're so glad we know you and don't have to navigate this stuff alone. We pray in Jesus' name.